Well, we are 28 days into a 30-day challenge, a journey, uh, and as we've been talking about, what if you had only 30 days to live, and we're on day 28, boy, just do the math, it's not very much further until we're all, no, we're not going to pass out Kool-Aid today as you, as you leave or anything like that. This is, uh, this is just that, that reflection kind of message series that hopefully brings you deeper into your life, uh, more contemplative with your life, more intentional with your life. That hopefully when you walk away from this life, whenever that day is, that you will have no regrets with your life, the life that you live. Heard a quote this week. I love it. I think it's uh, worthy of just kind of uh, locking away in the back of your mind. You only live once. If you live it right, once is all you need. And I think that's a pretty good statement. Uh, that if you only live once, then if we do it right the first time, it really doesn't matter. We don't have to do a replay. We don't have to do Control-Alt-Delete on our life. We don't have to hit rewind and, and reformat our life. If we do it well the first time, we live a life with no regrets. And that's what I hope that we are aiming at, shooting for uh, with, with our life. Now, we have, through the series, have looked at the life of Christ in His 30 something years, 33 years on the earth and how he lived in ministry on the earth. And we looked at the early days of those early years of his ministry. We looked at the last 30 days. We intentionally looked at when he started turning his face towards Jerusalem and started really focusing on the end of his ministry on the earth. We've looked last, uh, last week, we looked at the last 30 hours of his life whenever he is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is crying out to God. And then today we want to look at the last 30 seconds of his life. And as we look through this, we have seen Jesus, how he lives passionately and how those around him live passionately and what passionate living looks like. Hopefully you've looked at your own life and you've asked the question, what am I living for? What am I willing to die for? What am I living passionately for in your own life? Also, we've seen how Jesus loves fully, loves fully and loves completely. And it comes from the very heart of the Father. That he came to this earth, he died for this world, he loved this world. He, not to, he didn't come to condemn the world. So many people look at Christianity as this condemning religion. It's not that. It's totally the opposite direction. It is a saving, redeeming, reconciling faith. It's not a condemning. In fact, the reality of John 3.16 is John 3.17 and John 3.18 that makes it very clear that we are already condemned. We condemned ourselves. God didn't condemn us. Jesus doesn't condemn us. We live as a condemned person walking, breathing on this planet. And then we've we got to find hope. And the hope is in Christ and how he loves fully. And we unpacked that a few weeks ago. And then we talked last week, the humility of Christ. And again, in a moment in time when it was intense stress and pressure and, and anxiety, if you will, on the, on the, on the heart and the, of our Savior and how he drips, he, he drips uh, sweat, blood, all mixed and mingled together in that intense moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we also see in the life of Christ. In the last 30 seconds, not only, not only did he live his life well, but he lived it well to the very second. And whenever he lived it well to the very second, what I'm speaking of is how he left boldly. And if you have your Bibles, be finding the gospel of John. John chapter 19 will be there in just a moment. 
Because when you look at the Gospels, you find that when Jesus is on the cross, there's seven different statements that he makes while he is hanging on the cross. I preached an entire series one time on the last seven words uh, of Jesus. And it's it's a pretty powerful study because in that, you see in the last seven statements of Christ, you see his humanity, you also see his deity. You see his his anxiety, and you see his pain and suffering, but you also see his victory in the end. And so you see so much just in the last seven phrases. We're going to see two of the phrases today that speak of not only his humanity, but also his deity again. Now, what happens when Jesus is on the cross, you and I might think just from a 30,000-foot level, is that the Romans have got him. They've, they've taken his life. They've stole his life. The Satan has won the victory. And there's even songs out there uh, that talk about Satan having won the victory. That's, he, he didn't because in the reality, Satan was winning at no point in this battle. Okay, Jesus, The Romans didn't take Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life. He, he, he willingly went to the cross. It wasn't something that was stole from him. It wasn't something that he was tricked by the betrayer Judas. Yes, all that played out. But in the end, long before Jesus ever went to the cross, it says in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Did Jesus go to the cross? Absolutely. But he willingly went to the cross. He willingly went there. That's the bold move that he made. And even when he was on the cross, he was boldly declaring prophecies that were declared long before he he ever walked on the planet. But here's a question for you and me. You might look at the life of Christ and you might think for a skinny minute that that the Romans took Jesus' life. And the reality is, as we've read, he gave his life. My question for you and for all of us in this room today, is this world taking your life or are you giving it? Is this world taking? Think deeply with that one, please. Is this world taking your life from you or or, or are you giving it freely? The, The difference may be just minute, but it could be huge in impact. Some in this room today are so wrapped up in fear fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, that they're grappling with fear that they become paralyzed in life. And they're just like a time bomb. They're just ticking their life away, and it's just wasting away, and it's not being given. Again, is this world taking your life, or are you giving it? Some in this room are so wounded because of some past hurt or pain that they've inflicted upon themselves or that has been inflicted upon them in some trusted relationship, something in the past, that they literally today are laying emotionally, spiritually on a gurney. And they're not getting up and living. They're, They're held captive to that wound. Is the world taking your life away or are you giving it? Some in this room look like Pavlov's dog. You get up every day just like Pavlov's dog, and you know where the food is, and you know how to get to the food, and you go every day, and it's called work, and you go every day to that job, and you do the job, and you walk away, and you do the job, and you walk away. And you do that because you got a lifestyle that you got to support. You do that not because you're called to that, 
Uh, because God has given you the vision for that job and the potential influence in that job, but you literally, you, you work to cash out, you work to cash out, you work to cash out, and you do it day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. Are you giving? Is the world taking your life away or are you giving it? Think about it. I'm not promoting hedonism here. In fact, I think hedonism has caused us to live like Pavlov's dog, where we just simply go to the water and go to the bell and go to the whatever, and we just live in this habitual kind of lifestyle. And I think what we've got to do in our day, in our time, is to break free of that, to learn from Christ, to learn from this study, so that we can look at, right down as Jesus does in the last seconds of his life, he can look at the seconds of his life, he can look at the minutes of his life, he can look at the days of his life, he can look at the years of his life, and you can see him passionately, lovingly, humbly, and boldly living it out. Hopefully that is something that we are all striving for in this process. You have the Gospel of, uh, of John, verse chapter 19, will be there. Let's look at verse 28, because here's a powerful statement, maybe one of, the, one, of the, one of the seven statements that Jesus made while on the cross. It says, in this Jesus, after, after this Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, key word there, we'll come back to that in a moment, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. See, the reality is, is, that, is that Jesus was a prophecy that was declared long before his life ever began, that he would come to this earth. In fact, in Psalm 22, you can go in your own time and read Psalm 22, and you'll find the most quoted from Psalm in all the New Testament. And you'll find more, more in that psalm, Psalm 22, that relates to the suffering of a coming Messiah prophesied a thousand years before he came. And so that little statement right there is no happenstance, is no just simple parenthetical statement. It is to fulfill the scriptures. It was prophesied long before Jesus ever came to this earth that this is what he would, how he would live. And he says, I thirst, speaking, you see the humanity of Christ. And let's go to verse 29. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they took a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And again, there's a lot to say about this verse. Because you think of a sour wine, the best thing I could compare that to is modern or first century Gatorade. It wasn't as nasty as it sounds, okay? It was actually something that the Roman soldiers would keep with them, would be sour vinegar-based wine. And it was that kind of wine that they would keep with them, and so it just happened to be there at the cross. See, there was other wine that was offered to Jesus on the road to the cross, on the road that he turned down, he refused, he, he turned it away. In Mark chapter 15, verse 23, you can read this. That was wine mixed with myrrh, and that wine was an, was an anesthetic. Uh, what's it called? What, it deadens the pain. That kind of stuff, whatever. Uh, anesthesia, whatever. Okay, we have anesthesia over here. We can ask him later. It, was, it would deaden the pain. Jesus didn't want the pain to be deadened, but he was thirsty. They gave him this, this, this sponge-filled, soured wine. They fed it up to him on a hyssop branch, which, again, brings us back to the Old Testament, back to Exodus chapter 12, where they talked about taking the hyssop branch and covering the doorposts of the homes so that the Passover lamb would pass over them. And, again, we see this typology. We see this prophecy all beautifully coming together. 
in verse 28 and verse 29 alone. But that's not where we're going to focus today. We're going to focus on verse 30. Look there with me. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I thought long and hard about this message as we kind of wrap up the series this week and next week. Next week's kind of the icing on the cake as we bring it all together. It's kind of catch-up week. If you haven't been reading all your chapters and you're not up with all of us, then this is the week to catch up, okay? Because next week we're going to put the final touches on this series, and I'm excited about that message. But but I've been thinking about this message as, as a very key message for us today. As it's that last message, it's that last message from Christ, it's that last 30 seconds of Christ. And again, you've lived out this life and you lived it well. And you want to live well to the very end. You even heard David and Melody say last week in their testimony that they want to finish well. And how we live out our life is so important. So how do we leave boldly out of this world when one day we're called from this world? How do we do that? And there's just two things that I want us to walk away here with today that I don't want us to miss. One is I think we need to make a statement. Make a statement with your life. Jesus makes a statement. We need to make a statement. We hear a lot about statements when a funeral rolls around. Your family starts writing the obituary that talks about your life in summary. The minister does his best, if he knows you or he doesn't know you, to stand up and give a eulogy over you. Again, words spoken over you. You hope you, you lived a good life. You hope that you, you knew the person who's officiating over the funeral so they can say good words over you. But I think there's, there's something even more than that. It's that epitaph, that, that, that statement, that one-sentence statement that, that, that kind of hangs out around your beginning and ending dates on your, on, on your tombstone. It's that beginning and ending that, 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 that for some people, that's all there is. There's just a beginning and there's just an ending. But that epitaph is that statement that, that, that says it all, that sums it all up, that, that is the period, the exclamation on your life. And when I look at this statement, I have to look at the life of Christ, and I think this is the epitaph. Because Satan has tried to do everything he can to derail Christ. He's tried to do everything he can to, to insert himself even in his disciples. He's trying to do everything he can to keep Christ from finishing well. But Jesus said at the very end, in his very last breaths, the sixth of the seven statements, before he can he breathe no longer and live no longer, he says, it is finished. And I wonder, as you look at your life, how much inspiration, how much example do you see when you look at your life? Can you look at your life and say, it is finished? If you were to end, if your life were to end today, it is finished. Could you say that? You probably say, "There's a hundred things I'd like to do in this world before I die," and go for that. Make your bucket list. But I wonder if you can even define what it is. What is the it of your life? See, Jesus knew what the it is was of his life. He knew why he came to to live. He knew why he was dying. He had a very clear defined it. And he lived it and he, and, and he sacrificed for it. And it was his entire passion of his entire life was it. And he knew when he got to the it and he knew when it was finished. And I wonder in your life as you're living out your story, how much of God's story is woven into your story? Are you, do you know what the statement is that God wants to write over your life? Not just the beginning date and not just the ending date, but the epitaph that it should be written over your life. 
And if you're going to leave boldly, you've got to know why you, why you exist. And once you know why you exist, then do everything in your power to get there. The problem is some of us know that we need to be doing X or Y or Z, but we're just stalled. So I want to give you just a couple of brief statements about your life and how to finish well, how to make a statement with your life. One is you must start it, okay? Whatever it is, start it. Whatever it is that God has called you to, live it out. Jesus Christ did it from the very beginning. In fact, you know the story when Jesus and his, and his parents, they go away, they go, they, go to, they go to Bethlehem, excuse me, they go to Jerusalem and they're there in the city and then they go back to Nazareth. That's where they were from and they were there for the Passover and you know the story and how it all unfolds there. It's a beautiful story and Jesus is missing. They go back three days trying to find him and they find him in the temple. And what does Jesus say to them? How is it that you sought me? Knew you not that I must be about my father's business? He, to be in the temple, he had to be around 12 or 13. He had to have gone through the bar mitzvah. So the reality is at 12 or 13, Jesus knew what his it was. And he was living to that. The thing is, is so many of us give so many excuses of why we can't live the it that God has called us to. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. The, the, the sun is not bright bright enough. It's not warm enough. It's, I, I don't have all the resources. I don't have all the people. I don't, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. I'm not old enough. I'm too old. Jesus was 12 years old in a male-dominated, adult-dominated world, but it didn't stop him from being about the Father's business. What is the it of your life? And what is the excuse that you're living that's keeping you from living the it? Secondly, you must persevere in the it. There's a lot of things that's going to try to derail you. For the rest of your life, Satan will try to derail you from the it that God has called you to. Persevere. There, God has given us a calling many times in our life, and I can think of m- multiple examples in my life, of when God calls me up out of something and He calls me to something, and how the calling is so great and so vast, and I'm so excited about it, and I'm just ready to charge and go forward and to, and to not stop and not let anything stop me. And then all of a sudden you get halfway through it or a quarter of the way through it or a few steps into it, whatever it is. And all of a sudden reality hits you. All of a sudden discouragement hits you. All of a sudden circumstances hit you. And it's the circumstances. Listen, the voice of the circumstance becomes greater than the voice of the call. And we start looking at the circumstances and that keeps us from finishing the it that God has called us to. Jesus said from the cross, it finished. With all the breath that he had in him, he was able to say, it is finished. He made a statement. He didn't have to make the statement, but he declared to the world, he declared to Satan, it is finished. You can't stop me. I've redeemed the world. Think about it. Jonah would have never made it to Nineveh if he had listened to the circumstances. Peter would have never stepped out of the boat had he never listened to the, circ- had he listened to the circumstances. The widow's might would have never been given had she looked at the d- deep, empty pocket that she was carrying with her. Moses would have never uh, led the people of Egypt had he listened to the circumstances. See, what we do, we admire the faith of generations past. But what we have got to do is live the faith in generation present. What is the it that God is calling you to? You must have a clearly defined it. Now that should actually be number one if you think about it. Jesus was going to the cross. He knew what the cross was about and that's where he was going. 
When we started Grace Point Church 11 and a half years ago, I made a statement a long time ago, long before uh, we were still living in Africa, we're going to be a church for the unchurched. We're going to be a church for the unchurched. And it troubled some people when I would say that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I understood that. And one of the times I was actually on a trip from Johannesburg to Atlanta on a 15-hour long flight, and I was standing up in the aisle, and I met another guy. It was an American, and uh, started talking. And he was actually a church planner from Missouri, uh, Minnesota, excuse me. And he just started a church, and he'd over, he was leading his church over to Africa on a mission trip. And we hadn't even started yet. We didn't have a church. We didn't have first families or anything at that point. I remember talking to him. He, he, said, he made this statement. He said, we are a church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. And I said, that's it. That is it. I want us to be a church. For those who've given up on the church, because so many of us have church backgrounds, have church baggage, have church history. So many of us have denominational hurts and pains and wounds, and and they've just walked away. And the church is not a clean-cut, everything, nice, neat, orderly kind of part, okay? And we're still jacked up and messed up, even as Grace Point Church. But I want us to be a church that people can come back to that they can renew a relationship with God, that they can establish a relationship for the first time with God. And we're going to do everything we can to be that church. We're going to staff that way, budget that way, live that way, plan that way, because that is what we are about. And 11 and a half years later, I can tell you this, there's as much fire in my bones for that statement as there was the day on an airplane flying across the Atlantic that we have got to continue everything we can do to connect people. Jesus died for people because he loved people, and the church had better make room for people. And I would just say this as a parenthetical statement. We're, we're dealing with a challenge as a church, and we're going to be addressing it to make room for people. And you know we're already addressing it in the facility development, and we're not going to go there today. But I'll say this, on October 28th this, this month, we're going to actually start a fourth gathering and you have to realize that this is not something that we're just really excited about as a pastoral team. But we realize this, that God loves people. People matter. Forever is forever. And we've got to make sure we have space for their children, for their, for their families, for their friends. And we're going to have to create space now, okay? We can't wait for the building. That's going to be about mid-July, I heard this past week. And so here's some challenges for us today. And I just want to put these out to you. One, if you're in the 8.30 service right now, we need you in the 8 o'clock service on the 28th. I know that's 30 minutes earlier, but quit whining about it, okay? Just love the people in this world enough and just come. All right? It's only 30 minutes. You get up, you go to work a lot earlier than that, and you'll just sacrifice it. You'll get to the buffet sooner. You can go to two buffets. You can get out here so fast and make it home to all the football games. So you'll have no problem. Come to the 8 o'clock. Don't mess it up. All right? Because we have this problem. It's that middle services that we're having uh, that we we need to kind of split up. And, And we need everyone to, as members, serve one, worship one. That's not a new phrase. We've been saying that for a long, long time. Think about it in blocks of time. You come to the 8 o'clock service or you serve in the 8 o'clock service, then worship in the 920 or serve in the 920. It's really easy math, all right? So you don't have to come back at noon or or anything like that. So just think about it like that. Please, please, please do that. And then realize this. We have 63 essential positions of ministry still open today, all right? Now, we've filled a lot already 
Our members have already been stepping up to the plate. But if you're in this service and you're not regularly serving in one of our essential ministries, which is teaching our children, greeting our guests, serving coffee, being an usher, a greeter, or a registration help, or whatever it may be, it's time to pony up and step up to the plate, all right? And then number three is, and this doesn't apply to you, so don't even listen to this last part, all right? And that is the 1130 service is going to be at 12 o'clock. And please, that's, we're only actually going to get out about 15 minutes later because uh, we're actually shrinking down our services just a bit on all ends and all points in between. But I say all that. And why would we go to four gatherings? And why would we do this? And why would we tax our team? And why would we? Because people matter. And I hope that the epitaph of Grace Point Church will be this. Grace Point did what mattered no matter the cost. All right? It's not about a convenience and a choice. We talk about that in North Point. It's about a commitment and a calling. All right? I hope that you will walk away as a member, as a family member of this church, and you'll say, you know what? I'm going to do what matters because people matter no matter the cost. All right? Number two, if you're going to make a statement, you've got to leave a mark. And this leaving a mark is crucially important. Now, sometimes we'd like to write our own epitaph. We'd like to put it on our tombstone before we ever even die. And I've seen that done, and I'm okay with that, as long as you live to that now. It's one thing to say, this is what I once said about my life. It's another thing to live towards that end. See, Jesus didn't just say, it is finished from a nice palace in Bethlehem. He said, it is finished when he was hanging and bleeding and dying on a cross. That means if I'm going to live out what God calls me to live out, it may not be convenient and it may not be easy, but I need to live boldly and confidently on the it that God has called me to, no matter the cost. And I'm going to leave my mark and let God do what He does. He said in one word, it wasn't three words, it is finished. That's the English translation. It was actually the Greek word telestai. And it's actually a present, excuse me, it's a perfect passive indicative. And it's important to say this perfect means it's complete. It's finished and done. Jesus is not going to ever have to die again. Okay. It's finished and done. It's also passive. Jesus willingly went to the cross, but he did not commit suicide. All right. It's also indicative. It's an indicative verb, which means it has rippling effects that will never end. We are living in the rippling effect of Christ dying on the cross. We are living under the impact, the mark that Jesus Christ lived. What kind of mark are you going to live, leave on this world when you walk away from it? See, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, Christ is the righteous. For the unrighteous, you and I are the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. The reason he went to the cross, the reason he lived, the reason he died, the reason it was finished is because now mankind is reunited with God. Here's a challenge for all of us. A life lesson, if you will. Make sure your statement, your epitaph, and your mark, your legacy are aligned. Don't write your legacy, don't write your epitaph, excuse me, and not live a legacy. Jesus Christ didn't say it was finished from a garden. He said it was finished from the cross. He lived out what he was here for. Stories told of St. Francis of him tending a garden and was asked a question. What would you do if you knew you, you were going to die in 10 minutes? I thought that was an appropriate story. I have to hear what he had to say. And he said, I would finish this row. I thought that was pretty interesting. If you had 10 minutes to live, St. Francis, you would finish your row. 
what was he saying? He was saying, I know that I'm doing every minute what I should be doing, what God has called me to. And if he has me in the garden planting seeds, I'm going to finish what God's called me to do. What's God called you to do? If it's to plant a garden, go plant the garden. If it's to dig a ditch, go dig a ditch. If it's to be a missionary, go be a missionary. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever the it is, go do it. No more excuses. Leave boldly. There's probably no better example of this that I, I've seen in our church than in, 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 in a, an amazing person that's no longer with us, and Sarah Williams. But with every great person, there's also a great spouse. And Sarah Williams is no longer with us. She passed away a year and some months ago. But she passed away living a bold life. And you've got to understand, Sarah and Don were, were not in church before coming to Grace Point. They came to Grace Point when we were over at Reagan Elementary School and their life was changed. I can't go over the past 10 years to tell you the transformation that happened in their marriage and their life and their, and their mission and the it in which God called them to, but I'm going to let Don share with you. But for some of you who don't even know who Sarah is, we want to introduce you to just a little bit of Sarah today. Here on earth, when we think of gold, we think of treasure. But there is a treasure that is much greater than anything that is here on this earth. And that is the treasure that God has in heaven. Eternal life with Him. He loves us so much that He created a plan to get us together. So that once I confess my sins, get down on my knees and tell God and say thank you for sending your son, He washes away my sins. Is that just not the best news that you have ever heard in your whole life? That there is a way for us to live here knowing that when we die, we have eternal life with our Father. Well, you got to see a glimpse of uh, Don's wife, Sarah. And uh, many of you in this room uh, knew of her life, and many of you would say, yeah, Sarah was that person who influenced me, hugged me, welcomed me, loved my kid. Uh, She was crazy. She was insane. She took me on a mission trip across the world, you know, whatever. But what we knew of Sarah before she came to Grace Point Church, we also know that there was a life before that. And so what we want you to do is kind of give us an insight, a picture into what did that look like? I mean, what, what was that? What was her life like before God got hold of her? You ever been to a birthday party on steroids? <laughs> I've met Sarah. Does that count? <laughs> That's kind of what it was like. Um, as as most of you know or may not know, but uh, Sarah and I, we grew up in church as kids, and, and we both accepted Christ at a young age. And as we got older, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s, well, we, in our own separate ways, drifted apart. And uh, when we hooked up in... 1987, you know, I pretty much knew at that point that that's somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And hopefully she was the same way, at least she said she was. But uh, I remember being on vacation one time, and we were out in the desert in California in a, a green convertible Mustang. And I was on, she was driving, I was on the pastor side, and uh, I was taking a nap and woke up, and I looked over, and she was doing 105 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, don't you think you ought to slow down? And she goes, why? She said, nobody can see us. 
And if they could, they couldn't catch us. So, but before you guys came to Grace Point, and before you got your life just hot with God, I mean, was she following God at that time before you came to Grace Point? What changed? What shifted? There was a, uh, actually, when we were in uh, Nashville, you know, we'd, we'd kind of, on the surface, we'd kind of experienced or searched, I guess, for, for some consistency in, in our lives. And, you know, we went to a couple churches there. But uh, nothing really stuck on us, you know, and, and nothing that we could really hold on to. It was just, you know, the criticism about the music or the service too long. Just always looking for something to say, you know, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we did go back on several occasions. And so then we moved to Arkansas. You know, that was pretty much done. It was back to party city, so to speak, and that's that's what we did. Um, but then there was a tragedy in, in our family that kind of opened both of our eyes at, at that point. And, and I can remember, you know, just weeks or months after that, Sarah would say, you know, well, what do you think about the Bible or you know, what, what do you, what's, what's your background as far as religion? What, what do you believe? And so it kind of opened up a, it opened up a, a, a venue to kind of talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that she was, she was, had a stirring inside of her to, to do something else that, you know, there was a lot of regrets and um, just a, a lot of pain that, that, that she was feeling because of guilt. And quite frankly, I, you know, I was too. But in the course of those conversations and arguments on the couch about what we both believed and who was right. And, of course, she was right. It was about 60-40 most of the time. <laughs> it's easy to say now that she's not here. Come on. <laughs> it is easy to say that, but but it, it it took a long time because, I mean, I was pretty grounded in, in my faith, and I, I know she was all over the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, she believed a lot of different things because that's just, you know, the way she... The way she lived her life was very erratic sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so she picked up a lot of different views and things like mm-hmm. that. Well, I watched, Sarah, when I watched, I watched when you guys came to Grace Point Church and first met you guys at regular elementary school. And I watched her go from sitting in a group being afraid to pray out loud to then praying out loud to then saying, hey, I want to lead a Bible study and, and watching her do that and then helping lead out women's ministry. And then I'll never forget the time she said she wanted to go on a mission trip. And, you know, we went there and then she wanted to go to Mali for the first time. And it was a photograph mission trip. And I knew Sarah, all she had were like disposable cameras that she didn't like even hold up to her. She just like went around and clicked and she didn't even aim, you know. And so she had no excuse. She knew the it. She knew what she wanted. She wanted to go and serve on mission with God somewhere. So she went and bought a camera. She didn't even let it get in her way. So we've watched Sarah grow. We watched her heart evolve and morph and change. And so literally her life became that 30 days to live, really. She was in Mali. She was there for a couple months, four months, got sick. Um, Not sick because of Africa, but probably was sick before she went. Came back and literally... how many days was it before she died? 36. 36 days. And so give us an, give us a picture in that 36 days. I mean, what, what did you guys do? What did you talk about? What Did you review life? What happened? You know, there was there, that period of time there, uh, even though she was sick, there was there were still no limitations to, to her possibilities of, of what she believed and what she wanted to do. Um, obviously, physically, she wasn't able, but, you know, the, the amount of, time that that she would pray and the amount of time that 
that she would ask people to pray for her. I mean, nobody left the room unless they, they actually prayed. I mean, you, you know that. She, she would say, would you pray for me or would you pray with me? And a lot of people, you know, would, would give her uh, that courtesy. Um, the things that her and I would, would talk about were, were not things about, you know, what we've done or the mistakes or regrets that, that obviously that we had done earlier in, in our lives, but it was more about, you know, we've got, we've got just a little bit of time left. So, you know, let's make the best of it, you know. And knowing the fact that, that you know, you're going to die, you know, what do you want done? You know, what can I do to help facilitate the last few days? You know, what kind of service do you want? You know, what kind of music do you want? You know, is there certain people from your, you know, from your past that you want me to call to be there? And she took that, she took that really important to make those last few days um, of her life where it was almost perfect. You know, I it, remember coming in one morning in, uh, in the hospital room. It was early morning. She was eating yogurt, and she just began talking about her funeral, saying, I want this song. I want this song. I want people standing up. I want people worshiping God. I want people to hear from creation to Christ all the way through. And so even at the very end, she knew what it was. And um, so, like, in one word, if she were here right now and she would say, this is my it, or in one phrase, what do you, what do you think it would be? Well, the phrase would be, and, and Mike kind of talked about it a while ago, but, you know, everybody makes a bucket list. But, you know, with Sarah, she lived out of her bucket. You know, she, <laughs> you know there was nothing that, that, in my opinion, there's only just a few things that, that she did not get accomplished while she was here. Most of it, you know, as free-spirited and as enthusiastic as, as she was, I mean, everything she wanted to do, she, she got to do. Well, Sarah's life still continues to make an impact. Even if you didn't get the privilege of knowing Sarah, I mean, her thumbprints on our preschool ministry, on our missions in Mali are contagious. They're all over. Just went to Mali, got back a little under a week ago, and we went and visited a guy who still has Sarah's picture hanging up on his wall in his shop and still tells story. And everybody's asking, how, how's Kumba? How's Sarah's family? And so forth. And so, you know, we want you to be challenged. Her life is contagious. We want to live a life that models after you guys and your life being contagious together. So thanks for sharing with us, Don. I, I hope what you see more than anything is a common Northwest Arkansas girl and a husband who came together with their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength and they lived it out. And Don is still here serving, but... Sarah lived is what what God had called her to to the very end. If your life were to end today, what would be your epitaph? What would be your legacy? Are you leaving boldly? Do you know what it is? And will you live it out? For some of y'all in this room today, the most important is the most important legacy that you could have today, established today, is a mere relationship with God. And I say mere because that's a starting point. It's not the ending point. And some of you today need to establish that. And I'm going to say this. During when the band's singing here in a few moments, uh, we're going to have some pastoral team just kind of scattered across the front. And if you're at that point in your life where you're ready to say, okay, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want your salvation. I want your hope. Then you just come and take one of us by the hand. Just say, hey, I don't know what needs to happen, but I'm ready for it to happen in my life. This is your time. But also there's something else going to happen. 
all around this room, you see 16 different stations on the side. We're going to ask you to think about your legacy, to think about one word that you want included that makes a statement about your life. What is the one word? Not a sentence, not a phrase, not hyphenated words, but what is one word that you would say about your life that you want said about your life when it's all over? That you can start now putting that as the marker on your life and living it out. What we're going to do, the band will be up here, and there are little square pieces in every one of those little pockets along the wall. All right? You think about that one word. When you're ready, if you're ready, if you want to participate, you don't have to participate. But if you want to live up to the challenge and you want to write that one word legacy statement, that epitaph, if you will, the life you're going to live when you walk out of here, then you go and there's little Sharpies all along the top of the ledge. You take that down and you write that one word on there, all right? Pretty simple, all right? Cards are over there, pens are over there, you take it out, and then look on the back, like this one is A5, all right? Look on the back and then line up your card with your letter and your number. It's pretty clear on there, kind of idiot proof. Now, if you take your card and go from that pocket to that pocket, you're going to mess everything up, so don't do that, all right? But you just stay at that board, but this is your time. I want you to be reflective. I want you to be contemplative. I want you to think about what is going to be your legacy? Is it, are you going to write the word faith down? Are you going to write the word obedience? Is it going to be the word action? Is it going to be hope? Is it going to be forgiveness? Is it going to be patience and kindness and self-control? Is it going to be faith, hope, or love? What is it going to be the one word that will define you in your life? Let's pray together. God, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would do a great work, Lord, right here, right now, among us, in us, through us, that we can walk out of this room, Lord, and whenever our life is finished, we can live our life moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second, so in tune and so in touch with what the it is of our life that you've called us to. And there's no mistaking it, Lord. When our life is finished, we can say it is finished. What you've called me for is finished. Lord, help us now, Lord, to find that word that sets us out of this place and moves us into this world. And we can leave a legacy that will change this world and ripple on into future generations. Just like Sarah, just like the Apostle Paul, just like I hope in my life and I hope in every life in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is your time.